Kate, who are you? Yo, I'm Ginny. Who are you? <laughs> well, this is Shan. Oh, where are Ben and Nini? You know, we kicked him out. We kicked him out of the recording booth. It's really nice to be here with just the two of us. Yes. Hey, folks. This is Ginny and Shan, transcription team for the Conversation Podcast, here with a very special episode. I'm really so excited to just talk some shit without Ben and Nini in the room. <laughs> we can tell all their secrets. I think you are the chief secret holder of this team. Before we start spilling, we should tell people a little bit about who we are in case they don't know. So I am Ginny. I started listening to the conversation right after their first season, I think. I listened to the whole thing in one go and loved listening to Ben and Nini discussing so thoughtfully and with so much understanding of romance and of queer cinema and of BL as a genre. So I was a devoted listener from day one. A good friend of mine asked if the podcast has a transcription at all. And I said, well, I don't think so, but I can ask. And then within about 24 hours, I had asked and we had started coming up with this plan. What about you? How did you end up part of this team? I started listening to the podcast as a backlog after I got to know Ben and Nini a little bit. They'd been on my radar. I'd been following them for a little bit. And then after I had gotten to know them, I wanted to go back and listen to the whole backlog of the podcast. And so I was kind of becoming a podcast fan alongside actually getting to know them. So it was kind of fun for me to go back and listen to some of their old conversations. And then I think I just happened to be kind of hanging around when you came through, Ginny, and we're like, hey, we could use some transcriptions. <laughs> and I was like, well, I could help with that. I don't mind. I like a project. So here we are. Here we are. So what do you like best about working on the podcast, Ginny? I love getting to be part of some of the discussions about what will be talked about, how we'll talk about things. Ben and Nini are the driving creative team, but I like getting to sometimes provide my own input. As we'll see, my very favorite thing is getting to see all of the things that don't make it into the final edits because there's so much good stuff. It's kind of cool to get like a little behind the scenes peek at how a show like this comes together. Spoiler alert, it's actually a lot of work. <laughs> oh my gosh, I had no idea how much work Nini, who does the editing, does to present the final product. It's really incredible. It is. And as you'll learn from listening to this episode we have coming for you, I think Nini does quite a lot of work to make the episodes sound as good as they do. What I love too about working on the podcast is the opportunity to think a lot about all the stuff that we're watching, what we're liking, what we're not so sure about, help Ben and Nini think through what they want to talk about and why. It's just a fun, creative endeavor. It's a nice way to add an extra layer to enjoying these shows that we all love. And, you know, it's also a nice perk to get to listen to the episodes a little bit early. So, Ginny, what do you want people to know the most about the process to put together the podcast and the transcriptions? It's a multi-stage process. There's the live raw recording, which both you and I have gotten to participate in a couple of times. And then there's an automatic transcription of that recording, which is incredibly rough. We've nicknamed the automatic transcriber Julie. She's a very dear friend of ours. She's very bad at things like Thai names. 
one of the funniest things is going through the auto transcripts and seeing what kind of hash she's made of all of the names and other words we're saying. Nini puts together the final edit. Then what I do is come in and read through the raw machine transcript and listen to the edited podcast and update all the typos, correct all the names, cut out the edits in text where there are edits. When people are talking over each other, put them in the right order, do a lot of work with punctuation. And then when that first pass is done, then I hand it over to Shan and Shan polishes it and gets it to the nice final format that you listeners and readers get to see. I think one of the things that really struck both of us as we came into this was how much awesome material is recorded that doesn't actually make it into the episodes. Yeah, they can go on, Ben and Nini. They'll talk forever. (laughs) And there's simply so much good stuff that they say that ends up getting cut, mostly for time, occasionally for other reasons. And that was really the reason we wanted to do this. As I was working on the transcript, I kept pulling aside some, I know why you cut this, but it was so good, and threw all those into a Google Doc and convinced Nini to put them into a lovely clip show for you guys. That's right. That is what we are here to do today, primarily. This is a classic clip show. Now, I know that some of our dear friends and some of the podcast listeners are a bit on the younger side, perhaps. So in case you're not familiar with the concept of a clip show, you take old material, you take cut material, and you kind of stitch it together and repurpose it to make something fun for the fans to enjoy. And that's kind of what we're here to do today. So Ginny, I think given that you are our what are we calling you? Our chief transcription artist? I think that should be your title. (laughs) Sure. I love it. I think you have the best view into the material that ended up on the cutting room floor. So I'm going to ask you to guide us through a little bit of what we're going to share with our listeners here. So the first several clips I wanted to share are just really fun One of my favorite things in listening to a podcast is hearing the hosts just banter. And we get a lot of that, but there's even more that ends up getting cut. So we're going to share a few clips of just really Ben and Nini having fun. As the transcription project went on, they started to realize that I was going to see the raw version and talk to me directly. So there's some of that that comes in later that obviously I'm a big fan of. Let's listen to Ben and Nini just goofing off together. You described the core appeal of a horse girl movie. Um. Anyway, so. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not even. She's already Ugh. making some notes to edit me out of this podcast. Oh my god. <laughs> a no, but horse girl movie. Like, this is a horse girl movie. I'm 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 not even I'm I am editing this out. <laughs> no. This is so Black I, Stallion. I, oh my I hate you so much. I hate you. <laughs> I'm just gonna Once let it hit two into minutes. The fray, into the only fight I'll ever know. Live. 
live and die on this day. What is that? That's actually from the Liam Neeson film, The Gray. It's okay. the one he keeps uh, saying right. himself the whole time. Okay, 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 okay. okay. <laughs> she said, Liam Neeson, I don't give a shit. Cut that shit out. <laughs> I like Liam Neeson, but I just didn't expect that to be the answer to that question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a boy, Nene. It's a boy <laughs> film. <laughs> The whole notion about giving pleasure as a form of control is something we have not really seen explored in BL this way. Because most of the time they just want boys to poke each other in the booty and be like, ho ho, they did the thing. They really. <laughs> Coming out. I'm letting you know now. <laughs> and you knew it was coming out when you said it. When it I came it, out of your I mouth. Said it, I said it just for you so you can have fun. <laughs> you said it so Jenny could have fun too. That's <laughs> for Jenny. Jenny, when you read this, that was for you. I'm raising my glass. When they were adapting, they were like, well, we can't just solve our problems with like four or five pages of like people being inside of each other. So. We have to move some of these pieces around and restructure oh some. Oh my of this. god! <laughs> I mean, sincerely, like it's it's an explicit it's an explicit work. Like I'm trying to be polite because we have certain types of listeners, but it's an explicit work. When have and we ever been that polite? That the pacing of certain information. You edit me all the time on the podcast. I can't just say <laughs> we can't have four panels of his dick and his booty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, you're right. That is getting edited. <laughs> see, see, Jenny, I need your help here. <laughs> okay, all I'm right. Being, you have. I'm a being point. horny. Edit it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, Jenny will mark it, and I, it will like, probably end up in the clip show. As yeah, a note. I heard upset baby during part of your last explanation. That's not upset baby. That's very happy baby. Giggly baby. <laughs> I heard giggly baby in the background. Yeah, I'm trying to like create like a shield because I have a directional mic. So it really shouldn't be picking him up. So I'm kind of trying to create a shield around the mic. But if you're still picking him up, let me know. And I'll go try to like oh, soundproof a little better. You're hearing, you're hearing him still? I heard him. I heard him okay give me one sec then adorable child You're not he is adorable <laughs> he is adorable like, all right let me know? let me just have a quick moment to talk about how beautiful james is because i've been polite for the last hour about it so alluring my alluring favorite, is the perfect word my favorite james moment from this show will be i believe it's episode Either seven or eight, because I don't remember them that the moments that clearly by episode for this one. He's sitting on that like air conditioning unit outside because mm -hmm. they have to sell the juice. We have to get the <laughs> ad in. And King comes up to flirt with Ua and he goes, Why are you sitting up there? And he goes, Because I'm beautiful. And I was like, Yes. Yes, you are. <laughs> this episode eight yeah it was my favorite james moment in the whole show even further away from these shows like i find myself thinking about rianosuke a lot 
And I find myself thinking about, oh shit, what was Owen's character's name? I just remember Owen's fucking gorgeous legs. Oh, oh, uh, Max. Max. I find myself thinking about Max a lot because Max was pissy. And I really liked that they let a gay goth be pissy. And they confirmed that he gets dick on the regular. Good for him. I also feel like as much as Tumblr likes tits, Sonny's chest went severely underappreciated for the seven weeks that the show was airing. They just decided that they hated him, so nobody was looking at his tits. He has an incredible chest. I'm always dragging that horse around. Tonight I'm gonna bury that horse in the ground. I like to keep my issues gone. It's always darkest before the... I am done with my graceless heart. Tonight I'm gonna cut it out and then restart. Cause I like to keep my issues strong. <laughs> wow, that is a lot of fun. One of the things that I really keyed into the first time that I did an actual recording session with Ben and Nini was that they are not nearly as focused and polished <laughs> during recording sessions as they sound in the finished product. There's a lot of time that they are pausing to laugh or telling each other jokes, riffing, or stopping the presses so that they can go to MDL and check the names of characters, which that one really shocked me. I thought Ben had perfect recall for a while, and I was so impressed. <laughs> <laughs> it's so fun to listen to the back and forth the wait what was that guy called they'll go on about it for like 30 seconds and then finally come up with it when one of them is pulled up mdl and in the final edit you don't hear any of that you just think wow these two are impressive <laughs> they know everybody's names perfect right on the tip of their tongue magic so i think we heard a little bit in that clip section that sometimes we get into what we on the podcast team affectionately call simping over characters. Yes. <laughs> Which is always fun when we take a moment to just get into our feelings and admire. But sometimes Ben and Nini also get pretty serious about not just simping over the romantic scenes in these shows that we watch, but also into some serious analysis into how romance and sex is presented in the genre. Our next couple of clips are specifically about sex in BL, how it's used. Both clips are about Japanese BL. The first one is more general, and the second one is specifically about the show Tokyo in April is. Ben had some great thoughts that I thought everyone deserved to hear, so we're going to listen to them. Speaking yeah, of being a pillow princess... I really want to applaud what is happening with MBS lately by acknowledging that all the boys have dicks. This is very refreshing for me. <laughs> These are not Ken dolls. These are men. Like, we got this in Kushikari 2. Like, Kiyoi's, Kiyoi's very clearly enjoying the sexual component of his relationship with Hira, and for all of the top and bottom jokes that we make about these characters or the discourse around it, Kiyoi is one of the few characters 
that isn't in a MAME show that I would say is definitely a bottom because he's in charge of when they have sex. <laughs> you said that to me when we were watching. I remember when we were watching um, the episode. <laughs> you are like, the bottoms always decide when sex is being had. And I was just like, oh, God. <laughs> Which which is fun in terms of how they use like the typical Japanese BL line of I can't hold back or I can't resist anymore in the fourth episode. That adds just such a fun layer to <laughs> to that I, that one because it's it's done very tastefully here. I remain not a yaoi girl, but I take your points. <laughs> I take your points. Yeah, the 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 Use like so of much of the- so much of what we're seeing in the genre right now is a reckoning with some of the history of the genre. How some of these things we have reflected upon and say these things weren't necessarily great. And I really like that. Unlike American cinema, which will just pretend that things didn't happen. No, we never did something that horrible or racist or sexist or whatever. We just we'll pretend we didn't do it, and we'll just do what you say we should do now. I like watching BL reckon with its missteps or offenses and explore them like what was the emotional core of trying to play with that what were we coping with what might we have been dealing with or at the very least should we say something or acknowledge it sometimes i'll just be like no that was bad fuck off and then other times they're like let's actually tackle like a master servant dynamic who falls into that dynamic i was concerned because a lot of the viewers were hand-wringing over the sexual content of the source manga. And how was MBS, who is fairly chaste, because I believe they're a... I don't know if they're a national broadcaster. They might be. I have to go do some research about this later, because I remember this came up with NHK, I believe. Because I think they also did Koisanu Futari. And they have a mandate to do niche storytelling, which is how stuff like Hoisinu Futari gets made. I don't know if MBS is subject to that. I'll look into it later. Because I remember MBS got into some shit with Netflix. And he's just going to edit this side out. Anyway, so... (laughs) You're more conscious of my edits now that you've been doing the transcripts. (laughs) So I read the source manga because I needed to understand everyone's consternation. Because I've read a lot of romance fic and I've read a lot of erotica. It ain't that hard to cut the dick sucking out of most of these shows, y'all. But the readers were correct. The sex was an integral part of the storytelling for these characters. A lot of their hangups with each other are either sex related or they're communicating with each other through and around the sex that they're having. And I think the show captures all of the emotional beats around the intimacy very well. I think they filmed very tastefully with the young actors because their scenes fairly explicit, but they were able to get that part done without having to do like the full panels of insertion and stuff. I I feel like we we're was, never going to get that anyway. <laughs> right, we weren't, but like what's happening during the sex emotionally as part of their monologues is actually really important to the storytelling. Like, and the, the readers were correct about that. Like, what's being thought about and said and communicated with 
before, during, and after the sex was really important to the story. And none of that was lost in the translation, which is the main reason I read it. Like, I was very shocked that I ran into a Me Too story dealing with like the bystander effect in, in this particular show. And I feel like that was interesting because there's this almost conflation. The show doesn't, and the manga doesn't. The show does not conflate Cosma and Ren's history with the stories of the survivors. But I think it's baiting the audience too. And it wants the audience to interrogate that. I think it does because otherwise I feel like they would have cut out the Sonata stuff at the very end with Sonata and Ren. Like to me that even if they were trying to keep the two, they weren't trying to equate the two storylines making Ren almost become one of Sonata's victims. I think it was just like that's a very it, good it change from tied the, manga. the two the together. Manga, he does become one of the victims, but it still tied the two ideas together a bit more than I would have liked. I think I don't like that they kept the victimization of Ren in the story, but I think it's significant that he becomes a victim after he becomes a threat or an annoyance, which is, I think, part of the point that they're saying about Predators. I think it's a little bit messy of a point, but I think the show was married to its conclusion out of respect for the source material. I'm so glad that you shared that with us, Jenny. Tokyo and April is as one of my favorite Japanese BLs of the year. There's so much there to just unpack. So it's great to hear more, even more than what they talked about in the original episode. You might not know this. You know this. Everyone listening probably knows this. Ben and Nini are really smart and have a ton of background knowledge on the industry, on media and stories. A lot of thoughts that just arise from the amount that they've watched and considered and discussed over time. So the next section I want to bring us into is just some of their thoughts. Most of these got cut because they ranged outside of really talking about the specific story that was in conversation. We're going to hear them talk about some creators. Now, (laughs) when we initially pulled these clips, there were, I believe, four extended discussions on New (laughs) Suwaj. Yeah, I think we decided that the people didn't need to hear quite that much about it. They didn't need to hear everything, perhaps, but we've selected one of them that also touches on some other directors and thoughts about the creators and how we've seen them evolve. Then we're going to hear a little bit of them talking about the international conversation between shows, some ideas about particularly Korea and Japan and their BL industries reacting to what Thailand has been doing. Then we're going to get a little bit into some yaoi lore, some semi-uke tropes. Finally, we're going to hear Ben talk a little bit about narrative coherence and give us a little bit of a read on current American media. All right, let's hear it. I feel like the reason why new comes up in our like season two discussion so heavily is because... Almost all of his work 
feels like a continuation of the major things he's been grappling with in the previous work. More than any other creator that we talk about on this podcast, New is in an intense internal philosophical struggle that we are privy to in real time with every one of his shows. Like when we talked about Alf in the Moonlight Chicken episode, we had this whole thing about how there's a deep sense of compassion undergirding all of his work. And he's able to apply that in a specific way to each story that he's tackling. And every time we come to some of new stuff, it's the opposite. We're talking about, this is the Between Us episode, and we're sitting here talking about the impacts of Make It Right, Love By Chance, Until We Meet Again, the Star in Sky stuff. We even touched briefly on My Only 12%. And like that's sort of like the core struggle I feel like we have when it comes to new that we just don't want other people. Like we can talk about our love of Alf and then talk about Bad Buddy, Moonlight Chicken, He's Coming to Me, Gay OK Bangkok as distinct works as part of his orv. But we can't when we talk about new because I feel like all of his works are fighting each other looking for an answer. I feel like probably what people respond to in Until We Meet Again in particular is that New seems to be tackling all these like specific ideas and specific archetypes. Like I talked about how for me it feels like A and Sure are kind of two sides of the same coin. But if I look back, it feels the same way for Frame. Was it Frame from Make It Right or was that book? No, that's Frame. From frame was right. Holmes' character, book was yeah. Toei's Frame. Character. So I'm I'm thinking of Frame. I'm thinking of Dean. I'm thinking of A, I'm thinking of, sure, they have some real similarities in right. these characters, just in their, how how vocal and open they are, how they, they try and just kind of get to the, the crossroads of realizing that they are into a guy or into guys and just kind of shrug and go, oh, okay, you know, <laughs> with that, that kind of thing. And really, I, I feel like, I feel like I want to, I feel like I want to sit down and like hold news hand and pat it and tell him he's out there. You know, I just, I don't know why <laughs> he just eats something about something about his work as much as I often don't enjoy it. Nini is treating Nusiwaj, like a character from an American tale. <laughs> oh, God. I love an American tale. It's so good. I love an American tale. No, but I just kind of, I just kind of want to, like, I'm also kind of like, you know, I'm the fandom auntie. I just kind of want to hold him to my bosom and say, there, there, it's going to be all right, you know? I feel oddly protective of him for somebody who's right? like, I don't really enjoy. Yeah. Right. And that's what I think stands out. Like there are other creators out there that he's worked with. Like, I don't feel this way about Chiwin's work. No disrespect. Chiwin. But I don't feel this sort of angst at the core of his work, the way I do with new. And that for me is the real discussion of between us is what is going on with New? How do we get him out of this? Because he feels yeah. stuck. 
Yeah. Well, that's maybe why we'll I'm, see I'm that. At, maybe this. we'll see that in a Boston debate. Maybe that's we'll feel what better I'm thinking because we're doing this in the summer. Because a Boston debate already feels different. It feels similar in the way that it feels recognizable as new, but the tone has changed. And I want to see if that if that employs throughout the show. I don't want to be mean, but is this, it feels like the call me by your name. <laughs> They're like, I'm so sick of these people talking about that goddamn diadrama. I'm so sensitive about you. Call up one of Honda Soul's people. Get a German out here quick. We need to tell these guys to shut the fuck up. <laughs> about that stupid show. Ooh, I'm so sick of Bilkin and PP. <laughs> Do you think that this is part of the conversation that is being had about I told Sunset about you in Asia or no? Unintentionally, yes. What I will say, like I do feel like this is the first sort of like gay drama that someone other than Strongberry has attempted. From Korea, and I feel like because of the German, I like the German filmmaking techniques and the sort of like big idea presentation about where young people fit in society. I think there's a conversation being had with "I Told Sunset About You." There's a little bit of specificity in the interaction between kids and Seoul having a difficult time with trying to graduate and starting school and country kids. But like, it's just missing a little bit of specificity. I think like it's kind of there. Cause like, there's a bit about like, about the fact that Jihan doesn't use a particular dialect that's common. And so like, I'm not trying to like be rude or anything, but like, it definitely feels like whether they are intentionally doing it or not, it is naturally in conversation with, I told something about you, I promise you the moon and moonlight chicken in that it's participating in this conversation about where do queer youth fit in space at this point. I don't know that we've had a Japanese show that's really stepped into that arena. The closest is probably the closest for me is probably either Kabe Koji or Minato's Laundromat. I don't think we talked about Kabe Koji Nikoyashi Kikun desires to be recognized on this podcast. You talked about it in the Vibe Awards, but I haven't watched it. Framboise! <laughs> I know how you but, feel about Framboise. But I don't know that Japan cares as well. Like, let's be real. Japan does not give a shit. They're like, I tell something about you. We made his, right? Yeah, all right. Shut the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like when it comes to this stuff, like Korea, when it comes to this stuff, Korea does have a little bit of a chip on its shoulder. And that's what it feels like, honestly. Like, I feel like they're... This is just me being messy. But, like, if I was Korean... And I thought I was the pinnacle of 
filmmaking prowess in Southeast Asia. And all of these gay people wouldn't shut the fuck up about some Thai show from a defunct studio. <laughs> I'd be pissed too. Like, was that show even good? Did they not make enough money? Oh, I'm so mad at them. They but, took away Ua's Uke hair for that, and they have him on King's back. What is Uke hair? Uke's have brown hair. Have you ever the noticed things the things I learn? Have you ever noticed that the Thai boys, one of them always has like lighter hair? The things always I learn on this show. The things I learn talking to Ben. Like it's, to it's implied the that they switched that night too. That Ua, like they they let like they use the lighting trick to let his hair seem darker, which is what usually reserved for semis. And he's on King's back, implying a switch there too. Love it. The like you have it in Kitty Pie too. Like uh, Nukua has lighter hair. Kondiao has lighter hair. I have never noticed this, and now... You can't unsee it. I can't unsee it. GMMTV doesn't use it that much, but especially when they're trying to play into something more queer, like Fourth and Gemini's hair was very distinctly black for the whole show. I mean, I didn't like Between Us, but Wynn has lighter hair than Team. That's true. But he's also... Go ahead. No, so I'm saying so. I mean, it's not all the time, but I mean, none of these yaoi tropes are all the time, but it is a lot no. of the time. You are correct. It's going to bother you the next time you watch the show. She's going to see it and she's going to be she's going to be texting me mad as shit. <laughs> I'm going to wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on. Because I have asked you since since our Utsukushikari 2 discussion, I have asked you before. Wait, are they on the left? Are they on the <laughs> I'm from America. Surprise. And <laughs> American television and cinema has gotten so cynical in the last 20 years. And it feels like the filmmakers don't enjoy film anymore. Like, this is broad stroke stuff. Yes, everything, everywhere, all at once exists. There are films out there that are good. Please don't, please don't roast me over this. But there is a cynicism to the way American film is made. Like the whole purpose of American film is to turn money right now. And as Matt Damon explained very well on Hot Ones, why we don't get B film anymore related to the lack of a DVD market. Please go watch that instead. American film feels so cynical like we know that changes were made to shows like game of thrones because the audience can follow a story thread where they are intentionally changing what's going to happen to the show because the audience predicted it and somehow that makes it bad that the only way things can be good is if they shock you and trick you and surprise you and that's so fucking lame because stories should be legible they should have narrative cohesion they should make a point about what they're doing with their characters they should set up a premise 
explore it and complete it. You can't just have everything be about spoiler culture only. La Pluie is so satisfying because everything that happened, we saw, predicted, and understood. Its ability to deliver on our expectations that it set makes it one of the most satisfying experiences I have ever had watching a TV show. And I can't overstate how joyous that was for me as somebody who watches so much that can see all of the things being done, that can see all the tropes, can see the man behind the curtain turning the wheels and appreciate that this show didn't hold back and just trick us or tease us. This show trusted us the entire way through to understand what it wanted to say, why it wanted to say it, and asked us to consider it along with them. And it was one of the most satisfying experiences I've had as a viewer, watching it and discussing it along the way. The show didn't trick us, and that feels radical in an era of every show trying to be clever and pretend like other shit doesn't exist. I just love listening to Ben and Nini talk about the industry. It's such a cool thing that the BL genre is still small enough that you can really have these developed perspectives on different creators and on how their work talks to each other. And you can really see the way that the genre evolves. It's just so cool when they drop that knowledge and we can kind of hear that comparative analysis that they've developed over time. Yes, I love it. Speaking of Ben dropping knowledge, (laughs) (laughs) I think you have a very fun section for us next. I do. The next section is actually what inspired the clip show in the first place. Ben, as you know, is a gay man and speaks in a media landscape that is about gay men, but has a lot of people who are not gay men as viewers. We value Ben's perspective so much. He's not the only one, but he's one of the strongest voices. Bringing a little reality into how we're watching this media. He's got so many good words, and many of them have already made it into the podcast. But I saw a few, especially during the Eighth Sense, that were cut, which I understood because the episode was already like two hours long. (laughs) But they were so good. And I was like, the people need to hear this. And that's how the initial idea of the clip show evolved is because I really wanted you to hear some of Ben's gay rants. We, we joke about this sometimes, like, which actors from this studio are actually gay? But the question is, like, what are these studios doing for gay people? What is this platform that we're funneling money into doing for actual queerness? Like, sure, they've joined the call for marriage equality, but I have complex feelings about marriage equality. My primary concern for marriage equality is about gay divorce to protect poorer partners from being financially abused by the people that they marry. But my goal with gay marriage is not to make us more straight. Like, I do not aspire to a version of my life where I'm straight, but the person I'm with has a dick. Like, being queer is about more than straight people approving 
or how I look and present myself. Even though I can present the most normie of all of the people in my circle, and I'm often the face used to talk to cops and authority to keep shit from going wrong in our community. Like, that's my job. But, like, where are the rest of us, these people? Like, are they going to be with us when the cops are trying to kill us in the future? I mean, it's getting a little dark for this particular podcast. I'm getting political again. Queer people suffer. Our pain is real. Bad things happen to us. It is real. I suffered for being queer. I sometimes still suffer. Just because it's unpleasant to consider does not mean it's not real. This is something I feel very strongly about for some of you who watch BL and cannot handle watching the BLs that are a little bit sad. Like I told Sunset about you. Like Eternal Yesterday. Or Make Our Days Count despite the fact that I hate the way they executed that. Or Life Love on the Line. Or 180 Degree Longitude Passes Through Us. I have a long list of these shows. I'm just going to open an umbrella because, I mean, the shade, the shade, the shade, the shade. (laughs) Continue. Also, you're you're moving the mic around. I can hear it. Let me be trying to be better. Mm -hmm. Even if you struggled with these shows, even if they weren't necessarily to your taste, even if they didn't make you feel better, sometimes it helps to process these things in the art for those of us who live these experiences so that we can think about them and maybe heal a little bit from it or know that we're not alone in the things that we feel. It feels insidious to watch these shows with people who think that queer people's primary role is to be bubbly and entertaining for their benefit. I feel like Hannah Gadsby sometimes when she made Nanette I understand the rage she felt. I understand why she wanted to quit comedy. Because am I just here for your amusement? I am a full person who experiences the full range of emotions. And what we feel, good and bad, is real. And you can't take that from us because it's inconvenient or unpleasant for you. Now that I've got that out of my system. That is a read. (laughs) That is a read. Go on. Hydrate, baby. Hydrate. Oh, girl, I I got my glass right here. Don't you worry. Let me take my little sip. The righteousness and the disdain coming off of him is so palpable. And that felt really gay to me. Like, oof. Like, he was angry and he was gay about it. And not like in the whole, ha ha, look at him. He's... He's flamboyant. He's a fun party gay. We like having him around. I want to put him in my pocket. He was righteously angry as a gay person who cared about a gay person and thought that this person in front of him was the kind of straight boys who endanger our lives. And like, that's so real. That's the big thing. Like this show doesn't do any zigs or zags. 
It is so ridiculously straightforward. Like Lom describes something so bland that is so so he describes blandly something so painful and unfortunately familiar for queers of a certain age from a certain background. When he describes growing up in the closet, he tells Nam Nua quite plainly, I'm just a guy. My story is not that special. I'm just a gay boy who grew up in the closet because my family was homophobic. There's no secrets here. Yiwa's also not a special girl either. Like she's clearly talented and good in her field. She's just a gay girl living in the closet. We were just two kids crying our hearts out at the ages of 13 and 15 because we realized something important about ourselves and finally had someone to share it with and knew that it would be just us. And that means they've never had access to community. And this is what bothers me too. Like the people who are yelling punch Lom in the face, like he knew he needed to be punched in the face. It's why he let Nam Nua box with him because he knew he was fucking with him. Like it's already happened guys. Calm the fuck down. And there's a sense for me with the way people act about Lom and how much they hate him, that they would deny him access to the community because he's not the kind of gay that they like. And I have been in the room when shit like this happens and have cussed people out over it. So that's part of why I'm feeling a little bit combative about this show more than I normally do, because Lom and Namnua's story is some shit that could go down very easily. Any number of people I actually know or knew at one point. Like, he's just a gay dude in the closet. Is he lying? Yes, but he's making closeted lies, which is what I think people hate the most because they're like, oh, he's manipulating people. He is. He's putting on his his heteronormative suit all the time. And the best lies that work are built in a little bit of grain of truth. Like when family would ask me, like, oh, are you dating anybody? Oh, no. Oh, you met any girls lately? Yeah, I met a lot of girls, but, you know, I'm not really looking for that right now. It's not a lie. But are they entitled to your truth? Particularly if they're going to hurt you. And I have been hurt for it. So, like, it's not hypothetical. But what's so fascinating with this show in particular is the the people who do the most harm in this show are the straight people. Like, Lom's and Yiwa's parents are the ones physically striking people constantly and enforcing their will on people and deciding what other people's lives should be because of what they've deemed them to be. And it's so fascinating about how the heteros can't even work together in a crisis. Like, as soon as shit starts going wrong with the wedding, none of them handles the crisis with any amount of grace at all, loud capping the shit out of it, embarrassing themselves. And then they get into a brawl in front of all of their guests, fighting over whose fault it is that we didn't have the heteronormative ceremony today. They turned on each other after being close families for one or more decades, as soon as things didn't go their way. Absolutely zero resilience of any sort there. 
it was just it was so funny too because they could have like they could have come up with a story the same way that the the same way that Siloam and Yiwa and Namnu and Marine came up with a story. The moms could have come up with a story, but they couldn't even get it together long enough to do that. And like the story that Siloam and Namnu and they came up with, like everybody who was protecting them, they were in the story. They were on board with the story. They knew what exactly to present to everybody. They would tell the lie. They would sell the lie, but the moms couldn't do it. They got into the most, I'm sorry, amazing slap fight I've ever seen. I have to say, <laughs> I have got to say, I, I can't not give that slap fight credit because, wow, the only the only thing that surpasses that slap fight at the wedding <laughs> in any meme show is A throwing his little tote bag that could straight at Trump's head in love by chance. Other than that, nothing tops this. Nothing tops this slap fight. But yeah, they get into a public slap fight. All the business is out in the street. You know what I mean? Everybody's name and address, all their slips are hanging. Like it's it's all out there. It's, it's a huge it's, it's a, a really huge fuck you to her own family because you uh, has embarrassed her family in a way that's unrecoverable. And I think that's the other thing, too, about Lom sticking around that the mom recognized. That they spared her for now. It's true. I was surprised by how much I loved Namnua because I will say this plainly. The Femmes are so much stronger than the rest of us because I was able to closet myself and I was protected by the people who couldn't. Guys like Namnua, they have to they have to be comfortable in their skin because the world is not going to let them be comfortable in their skin. They develop a protective layer because people are judging them and clocking them constantly. And those of us who can pass often do unconsciously so that we can avoid scrutiny day in and day out. The femmes are so much stronger than us. And I really need all of you watching BL to appreciate that. That the femmes are not the weak ones at all. Man, I'll tell you, I don't think... Anything can get Ben gay ranting more than wedding plan this year. Oh, it was wonderful. (laughs) Thank you for sharing those ones with us, Ginny. So I feel like another thing that I was surprised by when I started recording episodes with Ben and Nini was how often we would just kind of get distracted and go on (laughs) tangents. And start talking about stuff that felt relevant to us, but actually was completely outside the show or the genre that we were discussing. Things will come up in conversation and they'll be comparing to other shows and movies. Those do generally get cut because they try to keep it very focused. But some of the discussions and clips were so much fun that I just had to share them. You mentioned them failing to get it on. Uh, There is a very, very good Mexican gay film 
called Four Moons or Cuatro Lunas that if you were a gay person listening to us, you should watch. It's really good. Mexican queer cinema is fantastic. And in that one, that's it's about four different gay stories at different stages of life. There's a boy who's really young who has a crush on his cousin. I know. There's teenagers who have the sex scene I'm going to talk about. There are some adults who are having some relationship problems, and there's a really old guy who's married to a woman but does his thing on the side. And there's a really cool intergenerational thing there. But for the teenagers, they have one of my favorite first-time scenes between teenagers that I've ever experienced because it's so hilariously awkward. They're talking to each other beforehand about how things are going to work mechanically. There's a lot of awkward bumping around. There's a lot of giggling. And it's really, really endearing. And Sinan Neuer's first time captures that really well. It really stands out in a show that's full of like really earnest actor performances when it comes to doing bed scenes together. This one was really fun and how sweet it felt in comparison to all of that. And so I really like how they really accentuate the overall flavor of that show. I'm a big fan of Master and Commander. It's a great film. (laughs) It is a great film. And also a film full of gay subtext. Oh my goodness. Is it subtext? It feels like technically. It's technically subtext because of the nature of their appointment because things can't be said because they live in such tight quarters. Felt like text to me, but let's continue. <laughs> let me let me tell you. Russell Crowe and what is his name cuz he plays Paul Vision Bettany. Paul Bettany. Paul Bettany was good before Marvel for all of you out there by the way. It's not that podcast but <laughs> Oh, man, I'm I'm already distracted. I know you're not a fan of Babylon 5, but one of my favorite lines from Babylon 5 is in the final episode of season four, towards the end, when a key character sacrifices themselves to save another key character. And the surviving character is horrified by what has happened. And they say, all love is unrequited. And I I felt that watching this show. Hot damn. Oof. Damn it, now you're going to make me watch Babylon 5. You will watch Babylon 5 for Susan Ivanova, ma'am. Claudia Christian, great actress. Love you, ma'am. But yeah, like... As a proper gay I just, boy, I have a weird love of very obscure female actresses. <laughs> as you should, Bill. <laughs> I mean, I have not <sighs> seen a read like this anywhere. Pose. Thank you. I was just thinking <laughs> there are two reads Since in particular pose. in pose. There are two <laughs> reads in particular in pose and i have not seen a read like this since those two reads okay and of course the the two reads in question are electra my beloved and those white girls at the country club oh my and... goodness. hydrate baby <laughs> 
And the second read is whoo, Damon at Family Dinner. <laughs> oh my goodness. Man, y'all, I know this is a BL <laughs> podcast, but uh y'all need to watch Pose. Mm-hmm. Y'all also need to watch Smiley. Go to Respect the Petties Tumblr account. I got them to check it out. And they, the leader of the Blue Boy Red Rascal reading, loved the show, as I predicted. <laughs> Just awesomeness. Yes. We're we're getting off track though. We're getting off track. Cause if I start thinking about Pose and especially about that that family dinner read from Damon, who never gonna but stop talking felt- about it. I really appreciate that this show did the moonlight thing and took them ten years forward from one of the worst moments in their life with the potential of them meeting again. Like part of why I love Moonlight so much is Act One's scene with Chiron with Chiron and Juan that caps off the first act <clears throat> where Juan has to explain a slur to Chiron and the third act of Moonlight where Chiron as an adult goes to see Kevin again like the second act of Moonlight is what we get all the fucking time in genre it's just gay boys in their teens pining after a boy who maybe likes them and they do some stuff and they get fucking punished for it. Like that's queer cinema, baby. It's just gay people having a bad time. And then you spend years, decades, even debating with people about how effective or realistic or beneficial or culturally significant the fucking pain that you feel as a queer person watching people like you suffer on film as the only fucking thing they do. That's why tell I still why, like my... Tell them why you're mad, son. Tell them why you're why mad. I still like my only 12%, because what Earth K captured with CEO's reaction to the love of Siam is how I felt for so long when I was coming of age. It hurts. It is so lonely no one tells you that it's gonna be okay there's a reason why americans have the whole fucking it gets better campaign and the hopes that queer kids will not despair and make sad choices and i really like shows like this now that say give it time kids you can still make it the boy you loved at 15 he's waiting for you in tokyo he's a mess i will make it I hadn't considered the comparison to Moonlight, but since you brought it up, like it's tickling my brain now. It's it's tickling my brain now because you are right, like that the whole third act part of it, and this show really is mostly the third act. It's interesting. I'll have to give that one some more thought. I have to give that one some more thought in terms of the structure of the show. But then the the structure and organization of writing of the show, I that hasn't been my that that hasn't been my issue with it. So I but but it's a it's an interesting comparison and one that I like. One that I like very much. And you know how I feel about Moonlight. So it's it's definitely doing things of up the for podcast. me here. <laughs> Moonlight is required viewing for the listeners of this podcast. If you have watched Call Me By Your Name and you have not watched Moonlight, please pause this right now 
go watch Moonlight and then come back. Yes. Welcome it's back. On the syllabus. <laughs> now that you've watched Moonlight, do you understand what I mean about the meaning again? How do you walk away from the diner scene, all of the energy hanging over that, and then not think about the complicated look on Ren's face when he saw Cosmo for the first time again? Particularly with the context that he knew Kazuma was coming to the company. Here's the thing, y'all. I'm going to be honest with y'all. Like, it bothers people sometimes when I put this whole thing down. You cannot get me to watch a straight show if it's got only white people in it. I can't. I can't. I can't do it. People have been trying to make me watch James Spader's The Blacklist for like 10 years. They've been trying to make me watch And they're like, it's good. There's like, it's got a diverse cast. And I'm like, show me an ad that has literally anyone other than James Spader in it. Exactly. You 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 do not need to watch The Blacklist. You don't. I I know I I know I don't. And so... The thing is, like, I, like, this is a BL podcast, so, like, everybody here watches BL, so they're used to looking at gay people all the time, but, like, I'm older than BL, and it was not this way growing up. I am not cultural gay who believes that I can build clout by telling straight people what straight things that they should watch to seem better than other straight people. I am here for gay people and primarily gay people. So that's what I want to watch. I am not here to, to validate straight people's love of soccer in Ted Lasso. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just joking. <laughs> Ben said, Ben said, click, click. And Jen started spraying the room. Yes. So, like, I watched the first episode of Mama Gogo and I was like, I love JoJo, but I have found where my line is. I do not care about any of this. And y'all want me to watch 15 more hours of this? I'm begging people to watch our dating sim. I'm begging people to watch For the Boys. And I'm expected to watch 15 more hours of straight nonsense in a strip club? No, thank you. Fair. Valid. Fair. But also, it is the most delightful straight nonsense. (laughs) I just got to tell y'all, it really is. Okay, this is my pitch, right? I'm sorry, straight people. I'm sorry to straight white people in particular. You guys used up the last of your coupons on Shit's Creek. Stop it. I like Shit's Creek. That was also the end of your coupons. <laughs> Jenny's gonna lose it when she reads this. <laughs> I feel like a lot of the time now that Ben knows that Jenny's reading these transcripts, he puts so much stuff in just for I do. her. He's like, this is definitely not making the cut, but let me go. There are things where I'm like, ooh, Jenny's <laughs> not going to like that one. <laughs> but I know Jenny's going to get some amusement out of it. She'll enjoy it. 
<laughs> Chad's like, hey, wait a minute. I like that show. <laughs> like, which one? I don't know. You just, you just, that's fired at so many shows just now. I don't like them all. <laughs> I fired shots at the Blacklist, Ted Lasso, like and. I don't like Blacklist. I'm mid on Ted Lasso. I did like Shits Creek. I like Shits Creek a lot too. But like, People were like, oh, man, are you going to watch Ted Lasso? No, I watched Shit's Creek. What do you mean? That's it. <laughs> You're like, I'm done. You, you get one. <laughs> That's it. Like, it come, it's really simple for me. Like, it's a quid pro quo. Like, like uh, you can cut this part out, Nene. But, like, straight white, people are, so, straight white <laughs> people are so fucking presumptuous about, like, my time. Like, I feel like I'm always being asked to validate white nonsense by watching a show that they like. And it's never like, oh, what shows have you been watching? What do you enjoy? What keeps you sane in this horrible racist hellscape that you live in? (laughs) And they're never like interested in what I'm watching or what I care about. They're always oversharing about some fucking straight nonsense that I give not a single fuck about. And then they're like, oh, but it's so good. And it's mid at best. (laughs) I have watched none of the three things, by the way, that you, you were see talking any of about. Them? Nope. I will say, Schitt's Creek at least does have a very gay storyline. Schitt's Creek has a very gay storyline, and it is a show about rich people and how they suck. Yeah. And That's how their cool. lives only improve when they start being kind to poor people. Yeah. It is That's- a fundamentally kind show at its core that never once punches down on its audience or its characters. And that was really impressive to watch for six seasons. Mm-hmm. Delightful. It's very Still Canadian. Not it. mm-hmm. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! We're not Canadian. Oh dear. It's really good, actually. It's, like, it's genuinely funny. Listen, okay. Let, let me put it to you this way, okay? Like, no. Let, let me put it to you this way, okay? I just became like my default child. I remain proud of having never watched Seinfeld or Curb Your Enthusiasm. So Ooh. let's just keep that but going. Okay? Larry I'm David, just, I do not, not think so. I, I just, I'm not, it, it's just not for me personally. Mm-hmm. And so here we are. Like people tell me, oh, it's so funny. My own sister is like, come watch it with me. I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm like, I will watch Seinfeld when you watch I Told Sunset About You all the way through. There you go. So we bring in lots of different references when we're discussing shows, but is there anything, Ginny, that stood out to you in terms of stuff that Ben or Nini tend to reference the most? Hmm. Is there one particular show that Ben maybe tends to bring up in every conversation Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> Hard to say, but I feel like there might be one that he's really especially deeply, profoundly, evangelically attached to. Is he going to kill me for saying evangelically? <laughs> I don't know. What do you think? Let's listen and see if anything emerges. We haven't talked about it a lot on this podcast, but I love What Did You Eat Yesterday? Please figure out a way to watch it. Kiyoi thinks Hero's doing this 
because he just won't like he thinks he's in what did you eat yesterday mm-hmm. like here is cooking as his love language the way shiro cooks for kenji but that's not exactly what's going on because here is twisted mm-hmm. i'm so proud of that analogy i'm so, that's the most fun i've had on this podcast i think <laughs> i know anytime Anytime you can reach out and touch a what did you eat yesterday analogy parallel comparison, you're a happy man. I am always dropping hints that you should watch what did you eat yesterday. Watch what did you eat yesterday. They are not hints. (laughs) And he's saying that to me who has watched what did you eat yesterday. Have you watched it only once? Are you or are you? No. have you Why not watched watch it movie? like 20 times or are you normal? Not, twin, not 20, but I've watched it more than once. I watch it like once every month or so. But sure like was. it's a gate thing. Like like I was talking about this earlier because some of the clowns are watching what I do yesterday. Much to my enjoyment. And we're talking about how Shiro doesn't really do a lot of touching in his relationship with Kenji. Sometimes you're going to be with other gays and you're not going to understand how they work. If you've watched What Did You Eat Yesterday? You're going to sit there and wonder how do Wataru and Kohenada work at all. And you just have to accept that their dynamic is their dynamic. And so he primps himself up, rents an expensive vehicle, and picks up Tien. And then, like Shiro at the end of What Did You Eat Yesterday's original run, goes with Tien to a cute cafe and lets Tien show him off a little bit. Even if it made him a little bit nervous to be fawned over in public. In fairness, with as busy as I've been between work and all the damn BLs we watch and recording with you and trying to play D&D, just, I haven't rewatched the show in so long, y'all. I haven't even rewatched What Did You Eat Yesterday in a while. Oh my God, are you all right? Are you feeling well? No, I'm busy. (laughs) The problem for this show more than anything is What Did You Eat Yesterday exists. (laughs) (laughs) Ben reaches behind him, pulls out a bat that just says, What Did You Eat Yesterday? (laughs) I'm not in the recommendations business. I'm always only talking about how I feel about the shit. But if I had to guess what Ben would say about it being a recommendation, he'd be like, it's fine. But if you think you're interested in it, go watch What Did You Eat Yesterday or Midnight Diner instead. Ben, what is our dining table about? About how What Did You Eat Yesterday was an absolutely perfect show. And we needed to make sure that we followed up on that with more similar shows. Like, most of the time when I'm going to get frustrated with the show, it's because they promised me something and then didn't deliver on it in some way. But, like, right away, like, we knew what the show was going to be. Like, the descriptions, like, in the vein of what did you eat yesterday, the bar was high. And, <laughs> <laughs> like, this is not me, like, projecting. Like, go to Gaga. It's in the description. They're playing the what did you eat yesterday card, which means for me, like, you better come correct. So they're asking you to consider this family. The same way they ask you to consider this family with What Did You Eat Yesterday, 
We're asking you to consider this family here. Back in the Vibe Awards, when we're talking about the GLs of the air, Ben laid this one out as one of the ones that he really enjoyed. And since I, he called it the lesbian, what did you eat yesterday? It's a lesbian sister to what did you eat yesterday? And being a great fan of what did you eat yesterday? I was like, okay, bet. I apologize for the weird, what did you eat yesterday aside? Like this came up recently because what did you eat yesterday is returning. And it becomes super messy. Like, What Did You Eat Yesterday has some pretty fantastic fights between Shiro and Kenji. But those fights are always tempered by the fact that those two love each other dearly and don't want to hurt each other. But What Did You Eat Yesterday is coming back in October, baby! So I ain't got to be worried about food at all. telling you it's that bat behind his back that he's always keeping it just <laughs> says what did you eat yesterday but <laughs> Taps yeah. the slide. watch what did you eat yesterday <laughs> as someone who has met ben i probably could have guessed what show that was going to be <laughs> shan i have to make a terrible confession I have still not watched What Did You Eat Yesterday. I know. It's a great source of pain for me. I'm going to. I just haven't gotten to it. you got to get to it. Listen, I know that we just listened to Ben talking about What Did You Eat Yesterday gratuitously in a bunch of unrelated conversations, but I got to say it. We still don't talk about it enough. It is the greatest <laughs> of all time. Everybody should watch it. I'll make that one of my New Year's resolutions. 2024, I will watch What Did You Eat Yesterday? And then I, too, can join the Everyone Watch What Did You Eat Yesterday squad. Yes, that's right. And I hope that anyone listening who has still not watched it is making the same resolution right now. So, Ginny, let's go back to the top, right? Yeah. Now I'm really dying to know who that horse girl movie comment was about. That is a great question. I would like to actually invite our viewers to guess. Of all the shows that were discussed in the 2023 season of The Conversation, which one do you think Ben described as a horse girl movie? Leave your guesses in comments on Tumblr if you're there or in reblogs. And the first person to get it right will get our coveted Clowned Correctly gif made by friend of the podcast, Moore. I'm going to think about it. I want to make some guesses for sure. Well, I think that that is all that we have time for today. Thank you, Ginny, for sharing your secrets with us. Thank you. I am just so delighted to have gotten to expose some of the hidden gems of Ben and Nini's conversations for y'all to get to enjoy. I hope y'all love listening to it as much as I did. Wish you all a happy holiday season from the whole The Conversation team. Have a great end of year. Hope that the shows are treating you well. We'll be back with a whole bunch more in the new year. Yeah, maybe we'll even let Ben and Nini back into the recording booth. Maybe. They got to earn their way back. (laughs) All right, Jenny, say bye to the people. Bye. (laughs) Bye.